From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. California's higher education system has been critical to the state's past economic progress. And a college education is becoming more important as increasingly jobs in the new knowledge-based economy require a college degree. Can California's higher education system keep pace with the economy's ever-increasing demand for college graduates? We'll ask Sarah Bone, Patrick Murphy, and Radhika Malhotra from the Public Policy Institute of California, as well as Dorothy Leland, the chancellor from the University of California, Merced. Additional funding for the Matty Report made possible by a grant from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world. As well as support from Era Energy LLC, Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant, Nossaman LLC, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. Welcome. Despite a strong economy, California has among the highest poverty rates and greatest income inequality in the nation. Can a college degree reduce poverty and close that uh, income gap? Our guest is Sarah Bone, who is the Director of Research and Senior Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California, and she's looked at these very questions. So welcome back to the Matty Report. Thank you. So um, how essential is a college degree for economic mobility? Is college worth it? College, the value of a college degree is at almost an all-time high in the data that we are looking at. Um, a college graduate in California earns on average $80,000. Compare that to somebody with a high school diploma earning about $36,000 a year on average. Um, so really the value of a college degree is, is hard to overstate. You know, one of the things I, I was looking at your research was I thought was really interesting was that how the uh, earning potential of parents versus their kids has changed over time. And your statistics indicate that in the 40s, um, uh, those born in the 40s, only 49, I'm sorry, 89 percent did better than their parents. Today, 49 percent. That's right. Wow. I mean, it's, that's pretty startling to, to all those of us who have children want them to do better than we did. Um, so the benefits of college will go beyond simply wages. What are some of the other benefits? In addition to earning higher wages, College graduates are more likely to find a job, to remain employed, especially that's true in recessions, um, which I think is really important mm -hmm. for us to remember in California. Um, at the same time, college graduates tend to have jobs that offer other benefits like health insurance, um, paid vacation time, um, retirement plans, and that sort of thing. All, thing. all of these things help with kind of economic well-being and mobility over time. Yeah, I, I remember, that I'm going way back when I was in grad school, there was something called the dual labor market theory, and they talked about, you know, the labor market isn't just one thing, it's two things. It's the kind of the skilled workers, they have one labor market, mm -hmm. and the unskilled have a different labor market, and so you want to be on the right side of that, and college helps that. So let's talk about um, the equity gap. Um, does college help kind of close that, and does it depend where you go to school, whether it's a UC or a CSU or a private school? Yeah, there's a big gap across groups. Um, students who come from low-income backgrounds, who are from minority um, uh, demographics, tend to have lower kind of college attainment rates. Um, and it really starts in high school or even earlier, um, where they kind of start. We start seeing these equity gaps, and they just persist throughout kind of the pipeline to college degree. Um, but graduation rates at the UCs mm -hmm. are much higher, or really the highest across our public institutions. CSU is a little bit behind that, and community colleges behind that still. Mm -hmm. And those equity gaps kind of go hand in hand with that. So it really does matter where you start in college. Well, let me, let me kind of go back a little bit on, on those questions. So most Californians, 66%, don't have a college degree, uh, particularly true among certain socioeconomic and uh, demographic groups. 
um, that represent a majority of California high school students. So why do they have much lower uh, college enrollment rates than their peers? I think you know there's a lot of potential answers to that, and we don't know fully. One. Um, leading explanation is just differences in information. So understanding what is required um, to be able to enter college. Um, and then information about financial aid, which is really critical, especially for our students from low-income families, to understand what's available to them um, through state programs or college programs that can assist with the cost of college, which is a big hurdle to a lot of families Yeah, today. it's also, too, if, if your parents have not gone to college, they can't help you navigate the system, right? It's, it's, it's challenging. That's right. First generation. There's a big gap between students um, uh, just in terms of um, the background of their parents. And one of the things you see a lot, I mean, CSU certainly talk about this in particular, is how much they affect economic mobility of these first generation. They have a lot of first generation students right. um, that are going through the system that it really helps. Um, you've noted in your research that more students are eligible for college, but an equity gap remains. What are the numbers in terms of high school graduation rates, college preparation, those kinds of things? Yeah, one of the striking numbers in my mind is um, the, the gap between students with different um, income backgrounds. So 67% of recent high school graduates from low-income families go to college. That actually sounds reasonably high mm -hmm. uh, to me, but when you compare that to students from high-income families, 88% of them go on to college. So there's a real divide there, um, just according to kind of the economic standing of your family. So you were talking about some of the actions that are needed to help Kind of improve the situation. So, what are the, some of the things you think need to be done? So, we talked about information, just in uh, in terms of requirements to get into college, and also information about financial aid. I think there's more that we could do um, from a policy perspective, and uh, individual colleges could do on the financial aid front because tuition is is now just a half or so of the cost of college. Right. Um, housing and all of that adds a lot to the burden um, that that students and families face. I, w I would add that you know colleges in California have improved in graduation rates and closing equity gaps a little bit over the past 10 years. And so there's a lot of promising strategies um, that we can build on. Uh, and, and I think that's that's good for our state. We actually, you know, do pretty well compared to other um, state colleges and elite colleges in enrolling a demographically mixed um, student body. Okay, up next we're going to talk about access to higher education in California. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. The Nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California projects that by 2030, the state's going to have a shortfall of over a million college grads, if things don't change. The good news is the gap is closing. The bad news, according to our guests, Patrick Murphy and Radhika Melotra with the PPIC, is that the state's historical underinvestment in maintenance of its four-year public universities will impede efforts to close that gap. So welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you. Uh, Patrick, we'll start with you first. From what I've read, there's been kind of a multi-pronged approach to help increase access uh, to four-year colleges, even to your colleges. What's been the effect? Um, the effect, as you, as you say, is more good news. Um, we've got it coming from two directions. We've got the high school students, with more of them being prepared, completing the requirements they need to be accepted. And then we also have it from the community colleges that are sort of streamlining and starting to prepare what, what we think of it will be a wave of transfers being ready to go to either the CSU or UC campus. Which is, which is pretty important. I mean, that, that's an important track. It's, it's amazing to me that a lot of the, at least in the past, they haven't coordinated the community college to the four-year jump, and I, they're seeing there's real value there. Right. And with that, too, is that we're getting a lot of students who, in the past, at least in terms of, of uh, uh, economic circumstances, 
wouldn't necessarily be getting prepared or wouldn't necessarily be there. So we're closing that gap a little bit too, which is a real big part of it. Yeah, okay. Well, Rocky, let me ask you this. Uh, a big part of the problem has been the declining investments in, in campus, campus infrastructure. Can you explain the magnitude of the problem? Yeah, so in 2005, state capital appropriations for uh, full-time students were about 1100 per student. Um, and if we fast forward that to 10 years, so in 2015, that number fell to $59 per student. $59? Yep. Wow. Um, and around 2008, it peaked at 1800 but we haven't really recovered from the recession wow. in terms of capital dollars. That's a big hit. I, it's, it's interesting, you know, infrastructure, when you think about it, a lot of donors who want to give money, they don't want to give it to pipes or right. they, they want to give it to a building, you know, and, right. but that's the stuff that needs to be maintained. Right. You can't uh, see that little brass plaque next to the heating <laughs> <right. laughs> unit. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, so, Patrick, let me ask you this. Um, so, you report, uh, there's a report that you have that notes that reduced state controls and legislative oversight has meant that these infrastructure decisions are increasingly being made at the local campus level. Um, and they, that may not align with state goals and needs. So, what's the right balance between you know, central control versus maybe, you know, local control. And the, the, the trade-off is in some ways this idea of a statewide oversight. Um, we would like to see the campuses increase their capacity to have more students on the campus. And yet at the campus level, we do want to have them to be able to take stock of their situation and figure out what their first need is. And somewhere in there, there needs to be a balance. The systems are starting to play more of a role. Um, we would like to see perhaps a, a little bit more transparency in yeah, how that, that happens. Yeah, one of the issues, and sometimes you do at a local level, that people may not know what's going mm -hmm. on, and, and maybe you need a little bit more uh, transparency. Though I would assume if I was a college president, I'd want to have control of what was going exactly. on on my campus, right? Yep. Um, and then they would argue, who would know more than what them locally what's, what's going exactly. on? Exactly. Um, let me ask you, uh, in your report you state that there are different implications for the UC, the CSU, and California Community Colleges. Can you explain the differences? Sure. Um, so in terms of the UC, um, we're seeing that administrators, because of the decentralized process and the declining in state investment, we're seeing that administrators are having to create capital plans that meet campus needs, but also ones that can be financed, which means that they're relying increasingly on external financing sources. So whether that's philanthropy or public-private partnerships. Um, so but UCs can do that, right? Because UCs have, you know, right. I want to invest in UCLA or, or, or UC Berkeley. But that's right. Okay. So and the concern there is that the incentives that those funding sources create may not necessarily run, you know, parallel to what the state or right. um, the system's um, goals are. Okay, so then we turn to CSU. What about the CSU? You have a lot of students in the CSU. Um, right. How are they doing in terms of... Uh you know, infrastructure and, and financing this stuff. And they have the same challenges that the UC does, but that they're persistently underinvested in, in right. terms of, well, across the board, but especially in capital. Um, so what that means is that they just don't have the resources, the philanthropy resources, like right. you said. They, and I, I, one thing I have at. noticed is that Cal States have gotten much more aggressive in philanthropy, but it's, it's still, it's an uphill climb because everybody's That's asking right. for dollars. What about the community colleges? Well, they've always had a decentralized process that decisions are made at the local level. They can tax and borrow. They're a lot like K-12, right? Exactly. And so they have a 55% approval rate to get something passed for money, and so it's a, it's a different financial model. That's right. So, so Patrick, what does this all mean? I mean, what, what, do you, what conclusions do you draw? Um, the fact is that we have not been investing to the extent that we have. If we want to have more spaces for students, we're going to have to create more spaces for students, which probably means investing in not only to catch up on the deferred maintenance, but actually building some more bricks and mortar buildings to, so students can attend classrooms, live on campus, etc. 
Okay. Well, I want to thank very much Patrick Murphy from PPIC and Radhika Malotra uh, as well. Up next, uh, we're going to talk about an innovative approach at the UC's newest campus, UC Merced, with the chancellor of that campus, Dorothy Leland. That conversation in a moment. This is Mark Kepler with the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. UC Merced, opening in 2005, was the first American student-centered research university built in the 21st century, right here in the Valley. Its third chancellor, Dorothy Leland, is our guest. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you. So can you tell our audience a little bit about the history and mission of UC Merced? Sure. We were um, built uh, to provide uh, access uh, to more access to uh, students in the entire state of California, but particularly the uh, San Joaquin Valley to the University of California. As you know, the valley is blessed with wonderful uh, community colleges and um, California State University campuses, but it did not have that a was, University of California campus. Right, that was the missing link. I mean, it, it, yeah. students in the Valley wanted to go to a University of California, they had to leave, and now, now they don't. That's right. Um, so let me ask you about uh, kind of the socioeconomic and demographic backgrounds of your students. Sure. Uh, how do they compare to other UC campuses? Um, we're, we are by far the most diverse of all the UC campuses, and um, our students uh, pr predominantly come from underrepresented minorities. Um, and from low-income and first-generation families. So to give you an idea of what that means, um, in number, 73% of our students are first-generation. 64% um, are uh, uh, Pell recipients, and we'd have even more Pell recipients if our over 600 undocumented students were eligible for federal financial aid. That's amazing. And I was looking at some of the statistics on your university, and high percentage of Hispanic students, almost 55% yes. Hispanic, which is very high. Um, you, you do a good job of attracting people throughout the state, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do have a large representation from the Valley, about a quarter of your students, but you're attracting students from San Francisco and, and Los Angeles, et cetera. Right. So, so a, big, a big draw. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, the impact of a, obtaining a degree from UC Merced, I'm wondering what impact it has on the economic and social mobility of your students. I mean, I would think it'd be substantial. Yeah. It, it, if you look at national data on the impact of, of a degree in general, a bachelor's degree in general, um, you can expect over a double a lifetime increase wow. in your lifetime income. University of California is even higher. So do we have a lot of data on that yet? No. You know, mm -hmm. we barely have an alum now who's 30. Right. But, you know, You're fairly, but, yeah, new college. But, um, but we do know our students are getting good jobs in diverse industries, that they um, uh, have low levels of debt, um, and so they're doing well. But you're also, I mean, you're graduating students. I mean, they're, they're coming there. One of the problems is they, they come to college and they drop out. That's not happening at UC Merced. No. You've got a very good graduation rate. Yeah. Um, I think it was something like, when I was reading, 16% higher than the rate predicted by U.S. News and World Report. That's right. And that puts you in, what, the top two per... Number two. Number two in Number the... Number two in the nation. Wow. And we are the only research university in the nation that has over 60% of our students as Pell recipients and has over 60% of those students graduate. So you're putting... You're surrounding them with programs to make yeah. sure that they're successful That's throughout right. the college group. These are uh, amazingly talented students, and um, they are hard workers and creative, but they haven't always had all of the advantages that um, they need to be successful in college. So we have a lot of programs in place that are meant to help close that gap. And that's incredibly helpful. I'm a first-generation college student, yeah. and I have a graduate degree and a law degree because my parents always pushed education. But yeah. boy, I tell you, when I went to college, 
I had no idea what I was getting into. I was also first generation. What's the syllabus? <laughs> exactly. you know? What am I supposed to do with this thing? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, it, people don't realize when, you, when you, your parents can't assist you in that and yeah. you're coming from an area maybe that doesn't have yeah. a lot of folks that go to college, it's, it's a big jump. It's a big jump. It's a, it's a big leap. The other thing I wanted to mention here was you actually have been rated um, by Washington Monthly. Uh, in 2018, you were ranked number 14th in the, in the nation on social mobility. Yeah. So if, if your target is to get these kids to move up socially and economically, it seems like you're doing that. So that's great. But let me ask you this. So what, are, what would you say are the greatest accomplishments of UC Merced up to this point? Well, you just named some of them. I mean, the, the remarkable success of our students, I think, over time will um, change the, the perception of the nation, that students like ours can be successful in a high-powered research university environment and be uh, an amazing uh, talent pipeline for the state of California and beyond. That is a success story. We're attracting amazingly talented faculty from the best research universities in the country and sometimes internationally. Most of them are young, but as their research matures, you're going to hear more and more about them. And one day we will have our first Nobel Prize winner. Um, okay. And, uh, so, and, and I think the fact that you know, we started up in a very difficult environment. The, the doors of the uh, campus were opened about uh, 14 years ago, and then a great recession. Got a great recession, so yeah. Hit, and we the the state lost its ability to to fund academic and re the construction of academic and research buildings, and so we were you know we were able to to create a way to continue to make the campus grow and thrive in a very difficult environment. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment with UC Merced Chancellor Dorothy Leland. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with UC Merced Chancellor Dorothy Leland uh, about some of the things happening uh, on that campus. Uh, one of the things that's happening is a major expansion. Um, you're going to basically moving to 10,000 students, and you're going to get there by a $1.3 billion investment by the University of California and this unique public-private uh, partnership you've got going on. A lot of people say this is going to be the model going forward for other universities. What's happening at UC Merced? Well, it's amazing. If you go out there, um, you can see a campus that in a period of three and a half years will actually double its physical capacity mm -hmm. with every kind of building that you see in a college campus. It is um, jointly financed through... By the way, it is a beautiful campus. It's it a, is. It is in a great setting. It is. And, and uh, you'll be amazed. I invite everybody who's listening to come see what's happening there. So it's a, a partnership between the University of California and a, a private developer who has considerable financial um, stake in this project as well. And it um, has allowed us to... Um, it's just not one building. You're using this partnership for... Parking lots. I mean, it's, it's everything. everything. So it's everything you need on a college campus from roadways, parking lots, research buildings, wow. residence halls, dining halls, recreational facilities, health facilities. So, so people are looking at this UC Merced model and, and yeah. uh, people are saying maybe this is something we need to replicate. I want to ask, I'm sorry, I want to ask a question though about, sure. about infrastructure because we had a discussion in the earlier segment about where should these decisions be made? You know, state has a goal of, of graduating more college students. Should these infrastructure decisions be made at the state level, um, kind of a central plan or something, uh, for lack of a better term, or should they be made at the local level or, or some combination? I, I think, um, I don't know if we need 
uh, additional bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. I think um, we need good communication channels and we need to make sure that capital projects align with state needs and state goals. You know, there was, a, there was an organization called the California Post-Secondary Education Commission that was shut down by Governor Brown as a cost-saving move in 2011. And Governor Newsom is talking about possibly bringing something like that back. Um, would, you, would that help in terms of the coordination? It, it could. It, you know, let's see what the shape and form and model of it is. Um, and, um, but meanwhile, I think that in certain sectors of the state, there's strong coordination, as you know, right here in the valley, that the, um, the community colleges, the CSUs and the UC, as well as some of our, our private school sectors, communicate regularly. We have an association. We have common goals. We work together. And so, smoothing that transition from community college to, to, yeah. Cal, to Cal State or to, or to UC is really important. It then shortens the time a student, it takes a student to, to graduate. It does. It does. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Now, I wanted to ask you about some of the things, you know, in the future. What do you, what do you think are going to be kind of the future projects and programs? Um, and I'd like you to talk about that, but I'd also like you to talk about this Valley to Valley initiative that you're uh -huh. involved with. So, Well, you know, uh, the future is uh, first to get to 10,000 students, and then we're And where are you now? You're about... We're uh, uh, a little under 8,000. Okay. And um, we're... Uh, uh, at the beginning stage of looking at our next long-range development plan, and so... Uh, but your full build-out, I read, was, uh, twenty, uh, I think, 25,000 students 25, in 30 years. Yeah. So it's basically the same size as Fresno State. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty aggressive plan. Yeah. So, so that's the, the initial thing that you're working on, but what about this Valley to Valley initiative? Well, I, you know, I've been a part of that um, since its beginning, and this Valley to Valley initiative is about um, connecting the talent and the resources that are in the San Joaquin Valley with the talent and resources that are in the uh, greater uh, San Francisco Bay Area. It is um, something that I think um, will have some tremendous uh, benefits for the Valley, economic and educational and other benefits from the Valley. And I'm really pleased to see leaders from um, all areas of the San Joaquin Valley and the greater San Francisco Bay Area really focusing well, the, on the Silicon Valley. Connection. The Silicon Valley is very interested, and yes. it's interesting. You know, people look look at what's happening with the ACE train yes. that's coming down to Merced um, that goes to San Jose, goes to yep. Silicon Valley. Then you think about high speed rail. If they build that uh, from Bakersfield to Merced, all of a sudden Merced becomes kind of a, a focal point of going either to the Bay Area or going to Sacramento with the University of California. That that could be really significant. It's it. it UC Merced, uh, Merced could be the transportation hub that makes that connection possible. And um, it could be, bring tremendous economic development to the community and the broader region. And um, I really look forward to um, continuing to work on this with all of our partners. That's very exciting. I want to thank UC Merced thank Chancellor Dorothy Leland for being with us. Also, Sarah Bone and Patrick Murphy with the Nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California. The Valley is also home to three California State University campuses. What impact are they having on the social and economic mobility of Valley residents? What are their future plans? We'll talk with the university presidents from the Valley's California State University campuses at Stanislaus, Fresno, and Bakersfield next. From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. The Valley is home to three California State University campuses. Each has a unique story to tell and each is contributing to improving the social and economic vitality of the Valley. We're going to talk to the presence of each of those California State University campuses next. Our first guest is Ellen Jun, the president of California State University Stanislaus. I'll have to say, one of the most picturesque campuses 
in the Valley. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you, Mark. We're delighted to be on the call with you. Okay, so I want to ask you about the impact of having a degree from California State University Stanislaus has on the economic and social mobility of your students. What what impact is it having? Well, uh, two very important points here. One is that um, our campus is a what we consider a relatively moderately small campus, and yet we have received national recognition in the last two or three years for some of the best, being one of the best universities in the nation to improve the socioeconomic standing of our students. So I'll just, for example, uh, last year, the year before, Money Magazine ranked San State number one among the nation's top value-added public colleges for helping students exceed expectations. And this past year, Washington Monthly ranked us out of the top 50 universities in the, in the United States. We're number one for best Best bang for your buck, and we shared that uh, ranking with ten, uh, nine other CSUs. So uh, the upward mobility of our students is, is dramatically improved uh, because most of our students are coming from underserved, um, you know, communities and neighborhoods, and so having that college degree uh, puts them well into the middle class, not just for themselves but for future generations. This is especially important because of the fact that. The baccalaureate attainment rate in the Central Valley is about half uh, that of the state and of the nation. Only about 18% of of, uh, residents in the Central Valley counties get a baccalaureate degree. So our students are on the cutting edge of improving the economic viability of the region. And just as an example, we graduate uh, 60,000-plus students, and uh, 70 to 80% of them stay in the the local community. And uh, we know from the Brookings Institute report that college graduates earn um, about 46000 more per year on average than a person with only a high school diploma. So you multiply that by our alumni base of over 40000 and that uh, results in an across-the-board financial impact in excess of $1 billion wow. uh, annually wow, for, that, for the state and for the region. That's, that's, you know, when you think about that, you think about the return on investment. I mean, that, that's a fantastic return on yeah. investment. Um, so what, do you, what, do you, what would you say, that's if someone was asking you, what are the greatest accomplishments of, of CSU Stanislaus. I mean, obviously, their number one ranking in Money Magazine and, and Washington Monthly is pretty impressive. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Yes, I think the thing that people uh, sometimes don't realize is um, our students are so remarkable, and that is we want to keep our tuition and our costs uh, affordable and an outstanding, excellent academic program. So we want affordability and accessibility to be top and, and foremost. So of all the CSUs, we have uh, probably one of the lower uh, student fees in addition to the already low cost of tuition being at only around $5,700. And so the cost and accessibility uh, of our degree is very affordable. Uh, secondly, um, my student body is probably the most um, first-generation students percentage-wise in the entire state uh, CSU system. Wow. So 71% of my students are first in their family to get a college degree. That is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have incredible, yeah, incredible pioneers of students who are doing such great work. You think of the ripple effect of, of you know, if you're yeah. the first generation, you know, you're sending to all your relatives, hey, you can, college is, is something you can do as well. So it's not just that person, but all the family members, the younger family members that are affected. So that's pretty significant. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Exactly. What, what can you tell me about Cal State Stanislaus that maybe our audience wouldn't know? Well, so very interestingly, this is, um, you know, coming from Tampa, small towns throughout the Central Valley, and most of our students come from rural um, backgrounds and cities and, um, you know, um, cities and towns. 
And yet our students are remarkable leaders. So a little known fact is that this year, for the first time, uh, we have elected for the town of Turlock, which is the second largest county in Stanislaus, second largest city in Stanislaus County, 74,000 people. Uh, we elected our first woman mayor, who was our student body president oh, and wow. NCAA athlete. And on top of that, we elected um, on their five-member council, city council, um, our student body president, who I knew two years ago, she was a student body, ASI student body president on my campus two years ago. She was elected, she's among the youngest and certainly the youngest woman uh, elected to city council, uh, both former students. So two out of our five city council and mayoral uh, elected officials in the city are Stan State graduates. Yeah, I'm thinking. So again, when, here I'm thinking when you showcases. when you call them, they're gonna they're gonna answer your call, and so you're gonna have some some influence there oh, for yes. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're on speed dial already. I, I bet you are. Um, let me let me ask you this. Um, what about the future for Cal State Stanislaus? What what kinds of projects and programs are you looking at doing in the future? Very many uh, important projects. Uh, one, of course, that has been in the news recently is our continuing commitment to growing and building the pipeline and the degree programs offered at our second branch campus, which is the Stockton campus, right. mm-hmm. uh, which, as you know, is I mean, a lot of attention in the media and from the governor's office. So we continue to grow and in a incremental and um, careful, comprehensive way with the support of the chancellor's office and working closely with our legislators and the mayor of Stockton. So growing Stockton campus uh, in a way that um, provides access to um, a region that is, again, a very uh, important part of the California economic driver. Uh, And secondarily, we are trying to do many different things, growing new programs. We have uh, one of the four-year baccalaureate um, and teaching credential, getting a teaching credential and your BA in four years, one of the campuses that is doing that, that's new. And then a new project that we're going to try and start uh, brainstorming and launching starting this summer and fall is a brand new idea that um, we will create a new stand state experience that will enable students when they join, whether they're freshmen or transfer, that they will have automatically a um, connection with business and industry partners. So we'll form an institute with a registry of key business, both large corporate as well as small businesses, who will then become part of the fabric of students' experiences outside of the classroom, in addition to their high-quality academic programming. And some of that work is also based on the work that comes out of Stanford. So we taught for the first time. I team taught a course Uh, called Design Your Tomorrow based on the Design Your Life course. It comes out of the design school out of Stanford. Uh, Our faculty went to get training on how to teach that course, and that has launched with great success. And we're going to continue to give our students the whole experience to prepare not just for their degrees, uh, but also for their future professional lives, their career lives, and just their futures in general. So it's going to be a very exciting cross-divisional effort. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like you're really opening up opportunities in higher education for, for Valley students. I want to thank uh, President Ellen Jun from Cal State Stanislaus for joining us. Up next, we're going to talk to Fresno State President Joe Castro. A conversation in a moment. This is the Matty Report Valley Views Edition. From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. From academics to athletics, Fresno State is a valley powerhouse. Our next guest is Joseph Castro, the eighth president of California State University Fresno and the first Californian and Valley native to serve in that position. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you, Mark. Nice to hear from you today. Okay, so we've been discussing the impact of Valley universities on the economic mobility 
and social mobility of, of Valley students. What impact has Fresno State had on, on uh, these students? Well, a significant impact. Uh, you know, we serve 25,000 students. 95, uh, 90% of them are from the Central Valley, so we really do uh, grow leaders at Fresno State. Uh, 70% are first-generation uh, to college students, so the university is really helping not just to serve them as individuals, but helping their whole families. And as you know, once one goes to college, and many others start to go from the same family. Um, we'll graduate about 6,000 students again this year, and uh, on average, over 80% of them will stay here in the region and become leaders uh, in all uh, sorts of professions, uh, from business to education, healthcare, and uh, many others. And then, as you know, we're almost 108 years old, so we have a lot of alumni as well, and uh, over 239,000. Uh, most of them are right here in the San Joaquin Valley. Yeah, you were saying. And then finally, the economic impact is significant. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just sorry, Mark. Jump in. I'm sorry. I want to jump in there and just kind of underscore the fact that so many of the students from Fresno State stay in the valley. I want to say it's one of the highest of any CSU's in terms of students that stay near their near they went yes. where they went to school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, both the 90 percent figure in terms of drawing students, and that has been going up in recent years as more Valley students are prepared to go to college. And then, as you know, many of them uh, want to be here near their families, and uh, and they stay here and become leaders. Yeah, that's that's very true. I see that a lot in the students that I've had over the years at, at Fresno State. You know, um, there's been a lot of things that have happened, both athletically and academically, at Fresno State. But what would you say are kind of the greatest accomplishments to date at the university? You know, I think the overriding one is that um, we provide a quality education to students from uh, diverse backgrounds. And you know as a faculty member how diverse our students are. And we graduate them uh, very effectively. And, and that has prompted us to be one of the leaders in the country. And uh, Washington Monthly, as you uh, might know, ranked us in the top 25 uh, for the last few years. So I would say that would be one of the, the pride points, uh, that we've been able to do that. And then as many universities have struggled with keeping their costs manageable, uh, you know, our tuition and fees are still quite, uh, quite modest. Uh, for $6,000, you can get a quality education each year here and graduate with modest debt. And, you know, I think that's a really important contribution that we're making uh, for not just the Valley, but for California and the country. Yeah, you could you could say that's quite a bargain, actually. Um, those rates are, are really low in terms of what the cost is. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, the whole concept of first generation. I happen to be a first generation uh, college student in my family. The impact that that has, not just yeah. on you individually, but everybody else who sees, hey, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. And I'm sure that has a big impact with, with uh, students that go to Fresno State. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we've done that for, for decades. Uh, many of the alumni that I meet uh, from the 40s and 50s uh, were first in their families, and now, you know, they're leaders in, in the region and in their sector. Uh, they have relatives, you know, kids, grandkids that are coming here. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, in our classrooms, we have first-generation students sitting next to second, third, and even fourth-generation Fresno State students. I have, I have to tell I love the, the universities like that. I have to tell you, you know, as a professor, I've been here 31 years, and when you start seeing the students of your, uh, the, the sons and daughters of your first students, it be, you begin to feel your age, I think, a little bit. 
Um, let, let me ask you. Another, <laughs> <laughs> you can't delude yourself. You're thinking you're young anymore. Um, let me ask you this: uh, Can you tell our audience something um, about Fresno State they may not know? Yeah, there there are many options, but I think the one I'll choose today is that um, we prepare more K through 12 teachers uh, at Fresno State than any other public university in California, and um, and that's a striking thing given that there are larger universities in other parts of the state that play a key role. But I would say in that education space, um, we're preparing most of the teachers for, for our region you know, and even beyond that. You know, President Castro, I, I, I've been at the university 31 years, and I didn't even know that. Um, that is an, is an amazing, that right? That's an amazing statistic. I would think you would have said something about viticulture and analogy, but – um, but but education, that's really yeah. impressive. Yeah, it is. And it, and it's actually, um, we've been increasing the number of teachers because the demand is so high, not just here in the region, but uh, around, the, around the state. And in sectors like agriculture, for example, um, we produce, you know, a very large percentage overall in the state of the teachers in that field. So that, you know, those folks are helping to educate the next generation of ag leaders uh, for the whole world, given the important role that we play here in the Valley. That, that is that is int- very interesting. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, so, you know, lots of things, and are you planning uh, for the near and, and, and long term for Fresno State? Um, can you share with our audience some things that uh, projects or programs that may be coming down the, the pike? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, exciting things happening here. As you know, Mark, our enrollment has, has increased dramatically, and, and demand to come here has increased. We had over 28,000 applications this year and unfortunately we had to deny almost 9,000 eligible students and that's a new phenomenon for us that I'm not particularly proud of but the positive part is just the interest of the the students in the region that want to come here and it's made us one of the hotter campuses in in the state from from that standpoint Uh, but we're going to do some things that are going to make it even more exciting we're planning to build a new student union uh, our students voted through a fee referendum last spring by about a two-thirds uh, vote uh, to tax themselves for this union. Uh, we'll break ground uh, in a few months and open that in a couple of years, and that will provide uh, new spaces uh, for collaboration for students and faculty and a more, much more welcoming environment for the prospective students and families when they visit. We're looking at the possibility of a new performing arts center um, and that would be mostly privately funded um, and would change, you know, that along with the student union will change the, the face of the campus on Shaw Avenue. And then finally, we're looking at some changes uh, in our housing facility um, that would also dramatically improve the experience for our students. So those are some examples of what's happening. And then on the athletic side, as you mentioned earlier, um, that's, that's also an important part of Fresno State. In fact, our football team was the number one team in California this past year, and That's right. we beat a couple of Pac-12 teams, and uh, our academic ratings are going to come out soon, and, and those will be very impressive to people as well. So, the, you know, excelling inside the classroom and outside as well. Those are great examples. Well, I want to thank uh, California State University Fresno President uh, Joe Castle for joining us up next. We're going to talk to California State University Bakersfield President Lynette Selesny. That conversation in a moment. From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Matty Institute. 
Now, California State University Bakersfield is a hidden gem that is increasingly being found out by more and more Valley students. Its new president, Lynette Zelezny, is our guest. So, you know, we've been talking about the impact of Valley Universities on the economic and social mobility of Valley residents. And I know that, you know, Cal State campuses have a lot of first-generation students, and I assume that, as a result, California State University Bakersfield in particular is having a pretty big impact on the social and economic mobility right. of folks in Kern County. Absolutely. We're a Hispanic-serving institution, and we are very, very diverse, and it's really our strength. And uh, one of the things I can really share with you, uh, uh, Kern County, one of the fastest-growing counties in California and number one ag community uh, in California and one of the nation's top energy producers in oil, uh, solar and wind. And so one of the things that Cal State Bakersfield has really been renowned for is aligning the curriculum that we have at CSU Bakersfield with workforce development. And why is this important? Well, 70% of our grads stay in Kern County to serve uh, in their professions and to serve civically once they graduate from California State University Bakersfield. I can also uh, say that we're really proud of some of our national recognition. So yeah, tell, me about, tell me about that. So what are, your, what are your, some of your big accomplishments? Yeah, the Brookings, the, well, the Brookings Institute noted uh, on this question, noted us for being in the 95th percentile for expected student earnings. And so, you know, once our students come, uh, and again, we have a large percent uh, Pell uh, here at, uh, at California. California State University Bakersfield, which means that students are coming from families that are very financially challenged, and they're graduating and getting jobs uh, that are moving them up in social mobility. And and California State University Bakersfield also continually gets recognized by Washington Monthly for best bang for your buck. Um, But some of the things that were were noted for uh, here at the university is, um, you know, our accomplishments really are our alums, 50,000 um, alums. Uh, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary here in 2020. And again, we're very, very proud of the work that our, that our students uh, continue to do and serving on um, this really great community. You know, Kern County is a county that is very rich in the pioneer spirit. Aerospace history was made in Kern County with uh, breaking the, the speed of sound, uh, Chuck Yeager, but we, we also have an amazing cultural environment here in Bakersfield. Um, with country music and other art forms. So we're really, really proud of who we are at Bakersfield. I think one of the things people uh, don't realize is we're Division One athletics uh, here at California State University Bakersfield. So we're really proud um, that uh, we, 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 we play strong both in our athletic competitions, but we're, we're rising also uh, academically. Yeah, I, I, I actually, we should say something about the Roadrunners. You actually have a very good, some very good athletic programs uh, at, at Bakersfield. Phenomenal. Yeah, very, very Phenomenal. good. Um, so uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, so I've never been accused of being good in math. So I want to make sure I understand this. So you're saying that Cal State Bakersfield is in the top 5% um, of, compared to other universities in terms of social mobility and economic mobility of your students? Uh, that, that is one of the things we've been recognized for. And, again, uh, we largely uh, uh, thank... Uh, the reputation of our, our engineering students uh, that go out and get fantastic jobs. We're ABET accredited here in our engineering program. They're going out and getting really top-level energy and, and engineering uh, positions. And yeah, I would, so I would, that social mobility. I would think that Cal State Bakersfield is going to be particularly strong, you know, deals with, with uh, the energy sector, um, probably leading the state. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, 
it's something that makes us really proud. Um, one thing that, you know, I'd like to point out is that, you know, we are considered to be one of the smaller CSUs, but there's, there's a couple of pride points to that. Number one, it allows us to be small enough. We're 11,000. We're poised to grow to about 18,000 students. And uh, we're, we're very much known for our personal touch here. We know our students' names. Uh, we're very focused on the graduation initiative and our students graduating at, at faster rates, and we will meet that goal by 2025. But we're very, we're very proud also of our, of our innovative programs here, and we're very aligned with our corporate partners to make sure that we're meeting the workforce uh, needs of the future. And, and finally, let me, let me note uh, on our faculty. So while we're considered to be a smaller California State University system, uh, uh, university in the system, uh, we are number four in the number of STEM grants uh, funded uh, wow. in the CSU. I don't yeah. think people would know so that. It's, yeah, it's about sense of place. You know, we're in the laboratory where, uh, you know, having diverse students, uh, students that are doing well and that go out and work on research, uh, that, that really is changing the quality of life in Kern County. Again, a real pride point for us. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And you said you're going to move to 18,000 students. That's going to be about the size of Fresno yeah. State at some point. Uh, well, uh, we are in our strategic plan right now, five-year plan, which is in front of us. We'll have that ratified in May, and we'll begin our first ever capital campaign kicking off in May as well. So really excited about that opportunity, bringing diverse uh, revenue and philanthropic gifts to augment our curriculum and bring new faculty uh, to this amazing university. You know, that's really terrific, because I think that's one of the things that kind of, and it's happening, you're seeing it at other universities in the Valley as well, but it's the thing that sets a university apart when they do a capital campaign and bring in private dollars to supplement the public dollars. That really is that margin of excellence. So I, I am sure that a lot of people in Kern County are, gonna be, are very proud of Cal State Bakersfield and are going to contribute in that campaign. I'm sure you'll do a great job with that. I want to ask you one quick last question. We've only got about 30 seconds left in the segment, but I want to ask you about just how, how can we improve higher education availability in the Valley? Do you have any ideas on that? I do. The Central Valley is so very important to have at the forefront of our focus as we think about access. And the reason I mention that is that our demographics, our statistics are so very different from the state of California. We're highly diverse, as you know, and yet uh, we also know that we have larger numbers of students graduating from high school in the Central Valley within the next decade that will be uh, college qualified, A through G uh, qualifications. So our numbers will continue to increase as the state's numbers will go flat in terms of the number of students that will want that higher education opportunity. So very important for us to advocate for state funding that will allow us to increase that en enrollment capacity and also for federal support for Pell grants uh, for our financially challenged yep. students. You know, the Valley is the future. So I want to thank CSUB President uh, Lynette Zelesny for joining us, as well as Fresno State President Joe Castro, CSU Stanislaus President Ellen Jun, UC Merced Chancellor Dorothy Leland, and Sarah Bowen and Patrick Murphy from the Nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California. Thanks all of you for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in the Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed in the Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute. 
providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.